This is Shannon Cox, your academic coach in the EDD program, and welcome to Beyond the Syllabus. Last episode, I sat down with Dr. Martin to start our conversation regarding crucial conversations, and most of the scenarios we discussed were specific to conversations with instructors in courses in the EDD program. So today, I am joined by another special guest, Dr. Blomquist, and we are going to continue this crucial conversation, conversation related more specifically to writing your dissertation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Candice. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I want to start this um, since our episode last time was around um, the specific courses in the program. I want to talk first about the importance of shifting the conversation specifically to the dissertation stage, stage of the program, specifically for students who maybe aren't there yet and maybe don't quite yet understand this shift. So when students are enrolled in courses in the first part of the program, we know that they have a very structured course to work through, and that includes discussion posts with their classmates and instructors, they have deadlines and so forth. We also know that once a student gets to 814 proposal construction in their plan of study, they're mostly done with their coursework, and are now entering into this dissertation phase. So first of all, can you speak to that shift that happens in ILD 814 and going from being really structured courses to less structured um, dissertation phase and what impacts that shift might have or that maybe you've seen it have on students? Sure, yeah, so 814 is actually a fairly structured course um, itself. So that's the proposal construction course that's still an eight week course that has discussion boards in it. It's a much smaller cohort. You're only in a cohort of about five other students. Those are the students that were matched to the same chair as you. So you're gonna be matched to your dissertation and practice chair. And then you'll be working through 814 with that instructor who will then be the chair of your dissertation um, until you're completed your dissertation. That course still has discussion boards in it. The assignments are there to, the right, the larger writing assignments are there to um, help you put together chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three of your dissertation. So that's the, the general introduction is chapter one, chapter two is the literature review, and chapter three is the um, proposal methodology. So the proposed methodology that you're going to use to answer your research question. So 814 is still pretty structured. Thursday, okay. Sunday. So Thursday, that initial discussion board post, engaging with your classmates on the discussion board, um, and then closing on Sunday. Assignments are usually, all the writing assignments are due on Sunday evenings in that course. Um, it's a smaller cohort, so there's not as much engagement in the discussion board, but you're writing a lot. Okay. Um, you're, you know, you're writing full chapters. So the discussion boards are there to just make sure that you're, that you're still in an interdisciplinary cohort, that you're bouncing ideas off of each other around your topics, um, about the literature that is of interest to your topic that somebody else might have. So it's still a very useful um, cohort approach, but uh, the structure is still there. When I find students start to, um, I don't know the right word, <laughs> struggle a little bit is after they've completed their, their electives. Because you, many students, according to the plan of study and, and just the way that students move through, they may still have an elective after 814. 
So that elective, you're still in a course, but you're also still, you're starting to work on your, your proposal without a structure. So those 899 credits, the eight, 899 mm -hmm. credits, yep. right? Um, that's what I find students, and I just got an email this morning from a student that said, um, well, it's not, you know, Thursday, Sunday check-ins anymore, but I she sent me an email to say, to give me an update on how her interviews are going. So okay. she's kind of out there on her own right now, yeah. um, conducting her interviews, um, getting her transcripts ready, starting to use her qualitative analysis software. But she's sent me an email to update me because I don't hear from them on a regular basis. And so she was acknowledging that, you know, without that check-in, she kind of had to initiate um, a conversation. And so I know that, that, that without that structure, students have to impose their own, so take an initiative to impose their own structure or ask their, ask their chair to help them design a structure. Um, I've had students um, in the latter parts of their dissertation phase kind of more ask for it a little bit more or you know, have struggled with it for so long that I start to go, hey, let's try something new. So what I've done with a couple of students, um, one student who wanted to finish um, on time with his plan of study, but was noticing that he kept missing his own deadlines and missing the deadlines that we've set for each other, um, was like, I don't want to pay anymore. I don't, I want to dip into, you know, having to get another 899 because I know that I didn't make as much progress as I was supposed to because I kept pushing deadlines. What we did with him is uh, we imposed a Thursday, Sunday check-in third on Thursdays. He would email me and tell me what his goal was to get something done and sent to me or another check-in email on Sunday. Okay. So Thursday nights, he would kind of Look ahead to the weekend. Um, kind of, we knew where we were at. I had either gotten him feedback on something, or he he knew where he needed to pick up. He would tell me, "This is what I want to do by Sunday," and then Sunday night he would um, check in and tell me that he had accomplished that or not. When it got to the end. Um, uh, I had to lay out some more harsher things, but and he told me he really appreciated it at the end, but <laughs> I felt very uncomfortable at some point. But <laughs> that's what he, he asked me to do, and so that was the role that I needed to play at that time for that student. Sure. And every student is different. Um, with another student, I proposed using a Thursday-Sunday check-in, and that student chose just the Sunday. Okay. Um, um, and we acknowledge, and he acknowledged to me, he's like, with the work, well, the work schedule that I have, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's just not, you know, you know, most of the week is not something that he was going to work on. He was going to be spending most of his time on the weekend. So then he would just tell me on Sunday what, what um, he was able, but he knew he was going to be checking in with me. So like sending me an email that says, I haven't touched this. Exactly. You know, put enough pressure on him to, to start to do things. So it was just you know, meeting the student where they were. And with some students, the prompts, so in 899, the 899 credit, there's a blue line course that's associated with it that will prompt students. So just with those prompts, it's, it's just a week one and a week four prompt. Um, some students will just get enough pressure <laughs> from, from sure. those prompts to, 
to check in. Um, whereas other students, I know that I need to initiate conversations. Right. So, so because registering for those 899 credits, when they hit that phase, you mentioned the blue line course, but mm -hmm. there isn't anything they actually log in and submit like they've been using the blue line courses to do. Right. Yeah. It's the the shell, the 899 shell course in blue line is just for the, the instructor's ability to provide a grade. And so just for everybody out there listening, the, the 899s are graded, you know, they're satisfactory or unsatisfactory. You never receive an unsatisfactory grade in an 899 credit. Um, to receive a satisfactory grade, it depends on how many credits of 899 you're taking. And so there is a dissertation tips for success kind of worksheet in the Unity Student Resource Center, and you'll see in there um, what one credit hour is equivalent to, like the number, the amount of work that you should approximately, approximately be achieving in one credit hour of 899 should equate to about six hours of work time, and then therefore demonstrated um, progress on your dissertation. So I had a student um, in the summer she didn't have any additional electives, so she was purely working on her dissertation. She was using financial aid, so she needed three credit hours for to meet uh, whatever the financial aid thing was. She she is uh, registered for three credit hours of eight ninety nine. So before we agreed that to that I said this is what that means you you need to make 18 credit hours worth of progress you know 18 hours worth of progress of demonstrated progress every week which means you know we're zipping through chapter one we're getting through that proposal and she was able to then finish she had just finished 814 she was then able to propose by the end of that term wow because she was using that many credits yeah, that's great. to get her proposal done so she proposed at the end of that and then started into her um, into her data collection, IRB application and data collection. So, but that's the type of speed that is required, you know, not that you have to rush. There's no rush. Right. <laughs> it's just that you need to demonstrate progress at that level. So one credit hour of 899 is six hours of work, approximately six hours of work every single week regularly. There's times when you maybe, and I know students take a holiday, um, like they have a cruise one week. Well, then you, you're going to work 12 hours next week, sure. right? We're only checking in every, you know, maybe every three weeks or so. So as long as you're getting, you know, 12 to 18 hours in that chunk of time done when you check in with your chair, then you're making progress. And that's what your, your chair is looking for when they're going to give a grade on 899 credits is the progress that, you know, in progress, um, if you're not like, so this is one of the things that we hear from chairs is that they've given the same feedback, you know, on draft, and then it comes back with the same issues and same challenges and they give feedback again, that's not progress. Sure. You know, <laughs> so um, progress is, you know, chapter one and two are, are good. Now we're just working on three. We're working on three in the next week. Chapter three is good, you know, that we can get it to your second committee member for their review. That's progress. Um, so 
Um, if you, you know, provide a draft to your chair and they, uh, they're still giving you feedback on the same chapters that you've been working on for three or four weeks and they've seen it before and they still have a lot more, that means you, you need to put more time in and you need to, you know, really address their feedback. And, and sorry, I'm probably rambling on, but- You're fine, uh, this is good information. <laughs> like, one of the things that, and I mentioned this to a student recently um, on their dissertation, was that when I provide, um, and, you know, I use track changes when I'm providing feedback within um, Word documents, um, and I may, you know, provide an example sentence, an edit, editing of a sentence, an example one or, or several, and then I might provide a comment that says, you know, look for these, you know, situations throughout and make those appropriate adjustments. Um, the one thing that I'm looking for, especially for doctoral students, um, is that they're able to then, the second or third time around after I've done that, they're catching their own. You know, that's that critical thinking yeah. component, which I talk about when I, whenever I'm teaching my courses. One of those critical thinking components is that they, they're, that students are able to demonstrate that they're making self-corrections. That I don't see a student that I can see just accepted all changes in the document and didn't do anything else. That's not, that's, I mean, you can make progress that way, but you're not getting the most out of your learning experience if you're just doing that. You should, I can't tell you everything that you should do, but I would <laughs> highly encourage um, that you look at how um, your instructor or your chair has rephrased something. Kind of see what that, what that rephrasing has done to that sentence or a paragraph that's been changed around and try to learn from that so that you can then, as you're doing a final edit, you know, self-edit, as you're doing that before you send it on to your chair, that you're able to make some of those other corrections yourself. Yeah. That you're not just relying on because your chairs are not editors. They're there as instructors. They're trying to help you learn how to write in a scholarly way, how to synthesize and integrate evidence and information, how to uh, choose an appropriate method to answer a research question. That's what they're there for, not your editor. So you like they're going to provide in in all of our chairs that I know. <clears throat> provide some editorial system because that's how we help with learning how to write in a scholarly way. But you should be picking up on those, you know, students should be picking up on, on those as they're going on and making those self-corrections before sending in another draft. So when I see students really making quick progress is that they're doing that themselves. And I'm not then having to, to say, oh, and now this paragraph that I didn't get to last time still needs to be right. <laughs> you know, edited. Yeah. So, that's where I can really see students making progress. And not just in that, you know, their you know, chapter one's done, chapter two's done, chapter three's done. It's that, yes, I see that students are getting it, that, that they can see how everything is tying together, that, that those elements, those, those fundamental dissertation elements in chapter one are living out in chapters two and three, and that will then be connected back to chapter four and chapter five when we put the whole thing together. So that's when I can see that the eureka moment, the aha moment is happening with students is that they're able to take the feedback, learn from it, and make the self-corrections themselves. So that's yeah. really what, what we're looking for, to see students become emerging scholars.
That's great. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. I think part of, um, you know, this, these questions and this conversation we're going to have about having conversations is understanding our students likely haven't had a chair before. Right. So really understanding what is the role of the chair? What is my role as a student? How should we work together? And I think you did a great job of kind of explaining those expectations on both ends and how that relationship is going to work. Because um, then of course you have a syllabus and assignments and it's very laid out and the student can figure it out what I'm supposed to do here, um, but the dissertation is just a different structure yeah. than that. So that's a good point too. Um, besides the deadline structure that the courses provide, the courses also have rubrics. Right. Like so, the discussion board has a rubric. You know that you're going to be evaluated on the five criteria: the synthesis of evidence, synthesis of course materials, you know, the APA. You know, you know that that's what you're being graded on, and you see that every week. Most writing assignments, you know, whether a twenty-page paper, seven-page paper, whatever it may be, has a rubric, and you say that I have these criteria, and you can do then a self-editing checklist and go, all right, if I were to grade myself on this, these criteria, where would I put myself? The dissertation is a longer journey and we don't provide there is a rubric and students might not know this <laughs> but there is a rubric that is used by your committee at the defense right um but the the defense rubric has the writing component in it so the defense rubric has um both the writing and the presentation the verbal presentation that happens within within the actual physical defense when you're here on campus when students are here on campus um, but there is the writing component is in there. Um, so you can always go, I don't even know if that's available on the Student Resource Center. Um, but that's probably another piece of, of um, structural component that students don't, can't turn to right. in, the, in the dissertation. Of course, the dissertation manual provides a lot of guidance, but it doesn't give you that. Um, it, actually, it may be at the end of the dissertation manual. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah, that the rubric is right there, so that you know, kind of what um, that that final check is going to be. But you know, all you don't have that regular check. Like, if you're curious about, I guess, if you're curious about when you send a draft into your, you know, you sent chapters one through three into your chair. Um, and you're like, what are you going to be looking for? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, know, you can ask that. Um, in most cases, it's going to be similar to what they look for. They were looking for in a final paper assignment in a course. You know, you're looking at in chapter two. You're looking at the synthesis and application of evidence. Are you bringing in contrary opinions, or did you only select um, sources and arguments that support your your line of thought? Because in, especially in an interdisciplinary program. You want to bring in diverse perspectives, and some of those diverse perspectives may not support your argument, but you need to say it and then counter it with whatever other evidence may be there to, to continue to move your argument forward for the research question that you're proposing. So that's, I mean, so the difficult part for chairs to be able to communicate, okay, I've just given you three chapters, is that those three chapters, you know, one is a pretty, is a fundamental, the foundational elements, chapter two is a lit review, chapter three is a method. So they would use different criteria as they're, um, as they're looking through it. But 
you know, the writing aspects of it are similar to what you were graded on in, in coursework, what students were graded on in coursework. The one element that is different, which would be in the dissertation rubric, is the connection, the flow of the logical flow of the information from chapter one through three that you introduced, that the student introduced a research question. In chapter two, supported why this is the most important research question to ask through literature, and here's where we currently are in our understanding of this current problem um, and what we know about it. And then in chapter three, saying, here's how I'm going to answer that research question. So there's a different logical flow through that proposal. And then the overall dissertation, you know, chapter four is evaluated specifically on, you know, the methodology that was used. If you're using the appropriate um, research methods um, to get to the findings and that you're doing the appropriate type of analysis and that you're clear about that analysis. And then chapter five is basically a big discussion. Um, it's answering the aim of the dissertation, which was introduced in chapter one. Um, so there's, it's difficult to find a single rubric that sure. the whole the whole thing. Um, but that's kind of what your your chairs are looking for, and that may feel a little uncomfortable for some students that need, you know, those smaller expectation setting things. But you can always have conversations with your your chairs around. Okay. Submitted this. Yeah. You know, what are you What are you looking for this time around? Um, and and sometimes they'll tell you that you just kind of read through the lines. It's not always sure. Super, sure. Super clear. Um, no, that's great. I think you know, and having these crucial conversations, we're of course talking about the biggest struggles because mm -hmm. some students will experience these and some students won't, or maybe in different ways, and so. I think talking about best practices or maybe even um, just talking about potential situations that might come up might bring a student more in tune with analyzing how is it going for me are things going well do i need to check in more often less often um, am i going at a good pace or not what do you think best practice would be a good minimum standard for checking in with your chair and obviously it's going to be different from student to student because maybe that's the answer <laughs> to that question um but for a student to kind of gauge am i doing okay and then do you find it's best the method is it email is it phone again i'm sure it's dependent mm -hmm. on situations but if we kind of have a general recommendation best practice yeah. or a minimum you should at least be doing this sure and maybe for the listeners of your podcasts and to promote other listeners of the podcast i can give you a little behind the scenes yeah glimpse into it's beyond the slope yeah exactly. i guess it's beyond not behind <laughs> <laughs> well i'm gonna be a little bit behind <laughs> is that you know we see a lot of students as faculty and we do have stereotypes, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of stereotyping students as I'm sure students stereotype me sure. <laughs> as an instructor. And so um, when I, you know, as a chair, um, when I kind of have an opportunity to get to know a student and we get to know students mostly through the coursework and 814 provides that. By the time I get through 814 with a student, I kind of have the sense of you know which stereotype this student might be and you know your your chair may reach out to you 
because of something that is just cluing them in that they want to check with you, check in with you. Um, even if you, one of your peers goes, ah, oh, did Dr. Bloomquist check in with you? And it's like, no, she didn't this week. Ah, oh, I wonder why she's checking in. It's like, because you, because she cares, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so reply. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's different for every student. And as a chair, I treat students differently at that phase, you know, which is different than I would do in um, my coursework too. You know, in coursework, I'm mostly like, on discussion board and replying to everybody because I want the opportunity for everyone to, to have engagement with me. Whereas in the, the dissertation phase, it's very, it's much more pure personality. Sure. The, the individual because it's a very personal experience because you're choosing a topic that you're passionate about, like the students choosing a topic that they're passionate about and I want to honor that passion and help them to fulfill that as best I can, which is a, is a, in, as a, more rigorous process at that point. With the coursework, I'm making you read the stuff <laughs> that we believe is important to prepare you. With the dissertation, you've like the student has chosen a topic that they're passionate about. So we want to honor that and honor the students' unique gifts and talents. So I think like a, an important aspect of um, the dissertation phase and the communication um, frequency and method is this thing that we always come back to with our program is the, the self-reflective practice, right? Don't stop doing that during the dissertation phase. And it's not just, you know, that two paragraphs that you're asked to in chapter one of the dissertation, right? It's like in reflection, you know, or in chapter five when you're, you know, you're asked to do that final reflection. Um, a self-reflective practitioner is doing it regularly. You know, whether it's something about, you know, students choose to do the examine on, on a semi-regular basis or in the daily for some folks, or, you know, just the process of, of going through self-reflective practice all the way to discernment. So, like that's the thing that um, you can't stop with, you know, with the process of going, oh, I missed that deadline. Oh, darn me, and moving on. <laughs> That's not the, the full self-reflective practice. It's how I missed that deadline, you know, but I knew that I missed it because I was prioritizing something else in my life. So there was a joy there, you know, there was something that I had to do that was different and I chose to do that because this is who I am. Um, I'm more than just a student at Creighton. I am, you know, all of the other things in my life, which we know is important for all of our students. So there's a joy there, but also a lesson there. And you have to get to that lesson and you go, okay, although I needed to prioritize something else, so I missed that deadline, then I still need to find a way, you know, um, to address that. Is that going to happen again next week? And if so, I need to communicate, you know, uh, if it's going to happen again, um, more often than not, I need to communicate and maybe ask for help from somebody else. You know, if some, and sometimes it's just ask for help from your support system around you. And sometimes it's like, hello, dissertation chair, I keep missing my deadlines. Can you help me? Um, can you put some pressure on me? Yes. <laughs> you know, and we, yeah, there are some mechanisms. Like I said, in the earlier kind of story was the student asked me to 
put some mechanisms in place that I felt uncomfortable with even, but it was, you know, for the greater good, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he did it. Like, he rose to that occasion and was very proud of himself. Um, knew it was challenging, but was proud of himself and did a very good job at his final defense. Um, so sometimes it's asking your chair to go outside of their comfort zone a little bit too. Um, but that's the relationship you have with, with them. And it's co it's okay to, to have a relationship with them that is, you know, setting boundaries, you know, having boundaries around, I'm your chair. I'm here to help you make progress on this document. You know, what's going on with deadlines? You know, and if you're, you don't know, reflective practice, done an exam and said, this is the root cause, um, let's brainstorm. You can move on from there. And some of it isn't time management. Like I've only really talked about time management. Um, some of it is, I can't figure out what you're saying. I can't figure out what you're saying with this feedback. And that happens. I've noticed that um, th there's times when I get a journal, a manuscript back that's been gone through peer review from a journal. And I have to read the feedback from those reviewers two or three times. First, the first one is I'm angry and I think that they're ridiculous and I don't know what they're talking about. Then I let it sit. <laughs> then I come back and read it again. And I'm like, how did they see that? How did they read that that way? And so I go back to the document, read what, what it was. And I'm like, okay, gotta get, gotta zoom out. Gotta get that perspective on it and say, by writing as clear as day, you know? And then I go back to it a third time, see what they said. And then I'm like, let's see what I wrote. I'm like, oh, they're getting, ah, yeah, now. And then it's like, I can't see, unsee it. I'm sure. like, yeah, and so then I want to change it. Um, so with the peer review process, double blind process that goes through the peer review and for journals, I can't go back and ask that reviewer, what are you talking about, Willis? Like, I don't <laughs> get what you're reading here. But um, you do have an opportunity to do that with your, with your committee, your chair or your second committee member. Um, I, w I wouldn't go the first, you, know, the, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Like, receive, do that at home. Yeah, receive the feedback, <laughs> read it, let it sit, you know, a couple days, go back to it, read it again, try to interpret and see what they're seeing, and then, um, you know, document and then write out your questions that you may have and either provide that through email or ask for a, a meeting. But there's many of them, once you've read it the second time through, give it some thought, you're able to address them. Address them. Um, if there's some bigger ones, like they're asking you to restructure or reorder something in chapter two, like the lit review, which is a challenging chapter to write, um, and they're seeing it flow in a certain way, a conversation is, is useful. So Zoom you know, set up a Zoom conversation or a phone conversation. I find the Zoom, when we're talking about um, um, the literature review and the methods section, which is basically most of the documents, <laughs> is good because the inflection and the voice, the body language, the eye contact, the, um, the hand gestures, <laughs> you know, that you can see between each other can um, can sometimes help with the communication, can very much help with the communication. Whereas the written email, um, we always read a tone in, and especially after you've received feedback, 
you have a rate of mean tone into it, sure. or your, your faculty members certainly, your chair and committee member, have no ill intent. We have such wonderful, wonderful faculty that they're part of the program. Um, very kind-hearted, caring folks that it may, like, I've received emails from, you know, my faculty colleagues where I'm like, are you mad at me? Like, what's going on? But then, like, I get on Skype with them, and they're just like, hey, you know, and I'm like, yeah, no, you, there was nothing. I was just, it was me. It was on my end. I was having a bad day, and I read it away. So, yeah, I would say um, in an eight-week period, so an eight-week, 899 um, course um, with the majority of my students that I've um, uh, walked along with in the dissertation journey, <laughs> Um, I email with them probably weeks two, four, um, even, you know, we're in week six right now. Um, and then if it's a, like, if it's data collection, like they're just doing data collection, I'm, I won't only get email updates. If we're in a writing phase, if we're in pre-proposal defense, I might, I would have uh, Zoom or a phone conversation with them toward the end of the term, just to make sure we're knowing what we accomplished and ready to make some new goals. If we're in, you know, chapter four, we're writing the results. Chapter five, um, we're on a we're in a document really heavily anyway, and so you're giving them feedback both through the the email and through the track changes comments. I would only initiate if I would in, in, initiate a conversation only. If the student wanted it, if I saw something significant that needed to change, I would try to communicate it through the track changes comments. Um, but if a student reached out and said, yeah, can we just jump on a call? Like, yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it depends on the different phases that a student is in and um, the demonstrated effort that they're putting forward and accepting the feedback and working with working with the feedback. <laughs> sure. Because yeah, you know, and I say this when I send back any feedback is, you know, see attached my document using track changes with my suggested edits and comments. So all the edits that I'm putting in, you know, using track changes are suggested. You don't have to accept them. Sure. Um, good luck trying to get them past me again, but no. <laughs> but, you know, they're suggested. And I try my, I'm working on this a lot more, trying to help the student find their voice, their own voice, and not my voice, which is hard in scholarly work. Scholarly writing has a, has, a, has a voice of its own, but I still think that there's a unique place for student voice in that as well. So, yeah, it's all of it and everything, yeah. and you, you know, work with your chair. That's, I think, just saying out loud, it's good to ask for what you need. Yeah. You're not bothering them. They're not too busy. They're not annoyed. They want to hear from you. I think that's a um, powerful yeah. message just right there to ask for what yeah. you need. Yeah. So. And, you know, the behind the scenes secret is, you know, we remind ourselves regularly, assume good intent. Yes. And we're asking students to do the same with us. Absolutely. Right? Like, Absolutely. Assume we all have good intentions. We're, we're here to help you. The feedback that we were giving isn't, isn't a, you know, harm. It, it's to challenge. Sure. And it can be challenging. Um, 
and it can feel, I mean, I've ex I experience when I get feedback on journal articles that I've worked months, <laughs> you know, and, and I know it, it, the dissertation is about a year long adventure. Um, but, you know, the, the research projects that I work on are, you know, probably year long, like by the time that I got the grant, done the, done the research and then done the writing and sent it off to a journal, it's over a year. And then I get uh, a revise and resubmit or a rejection right out. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> you know, it's, um, so I, I understand what the students, I mean, I can empathize. I've been through it before as well. Um, but assume good intent that, you know, we're all here. To, Absolutely. To help each other um, grow in, in you know, whatever way we can. And it's, um, yeah, no, I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I think on that note, um, students, and you've kind of talked about this in some of your previ previous examples, mm -hmm. I think the hardest roadblock we can see some students get to is when their motivation, I don't want to say motivation, motivation is not the right word, but they get to the point where they're not making the progress like that. And that's not because they don't want to, it might be work or home or whatever, even scheduling interviews or they've hit a snag and they realize it's been three weeks and I haven't touched this and now I'm semi-panicked because I know I have a grade that depends on this. I'm embarrassed. I know they know I'm not making progress. And then sometimes you just don't hear from them because it's hard, I think, to initiate that conversation. I feel that way often when you need to, you know, make that phone call and keep putting it off and putting it off and eventually like, well, I can't call now. It's been way too long. So what is your advice to students who might encounter that situation? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I don't hear, like, you're the academic coach. So right. I don't often hear a student tell me that. Um, they won't admit to it anyway. Sure. But um, it's interesting because, you know, so my background is in kinesiology, so exercise psychology, and we experience that oh, with yes. recovery from injury or high performance, like as you're, as you're moving through um, your fitness levels, is that you'll hit plateaus. Yes. Right? So it's so great. So after you've experienced a physical activity lapse where you just haven't done physical activity for, you know, whatever period of time and you start back to physical activity, you see improvements really quickly. You're like, oh my God, I can breathe walking upstairs. <laughs> and, you know, or I can, I can, I'm really feeling the burn with this, you know, strength and conditioning kind of workout. But then you, there's this plateau and you don't see improvements because your body has adjusted to that to that challenge and that happens with the, the dissertation or the writing process is you got you got that you figured out you got to that plateau where you did chapter one you have a good draft of chapter two and now you're like oh the rest of chapter two is hard <laughs> and it's like yes you need to challenge again you know, you, you brought, you got the literature review, you love the reading, I love the reading part of the literature review, I like reading it, but then writing it. Sure. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm feeling good. And then you have the plateau where you're like, 
oh no, I gotta write it, I gotta get it on paper, I gotta get my ideas, and I can see how they're all connecting together, but I need to formulate that into a goddamn paragraph. You know? <laughs> um, so then you're challenging yourself to that next thing, and that is hard to, to sit down, it's hard to go back to the gym, it's hard to, you know, to do that, that, that physical activity on a daily basis, right? So, yeah. so um, uh, don't shame yourself. You know, like that's what we do with physical activity um, promotion. Um, but it, it happens. I think that's the first thing to, to acknowledge to yourself when it is happening. It's like, okay, it happens. And not to let a relapse, so, or sorry, a lapse, <laughs> because we relapse as well. Yeah. A lapse in, I didn't, get a, I didn't get writing done this week. Don't let that lapse continue because of a, a feeling of a failure or anything that you can recover from that lapse at any moment and recognizing that lapse may be because of you know time management issues you know and that's you know again with the physical activity comparison it is yeah you know the number one reason why people don't engage in regular physical activity but um for other reasons you know knowing that okay it's not time management you know, I may have prioritized other things because we all have multiple concurrent goals in our lives. I may have prioritized other things, but that I can um, get, I want to get to that next challenge level. You know, I see my fitness can improve. You know, I can see my writing can improve. And there's that next challenge in front of me. I didn't start this EDD because it was going to be easy. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I'm here to, to grow, to, to grow those muscles, to grow, to grow my ability to think um, interdisciplinarily to think about complex ideas and to, to address complex problems in, in the world because you know that's why you came to the EDD and so um, kind of giving yourself um, reflecting you know going back to that self-reflective practice again reflecting and not not sitting in a shame spiral you know getting Brene Brown wording in here you know don't go in a shame spiral um, recognize the vulnerability that we have when we're meeting another challenge and rise to it, you know? So again, Brene Brown, brave, you know, take the courage to, to take that next step. And always, you know, set small incremental goals, you know? And that's the same with, again, going back to the physical activity comparison is, you know, I'm not gonna go from sedentary to running a six minute mile, right? <laughs> you know? Right. It's, sedentary to, to jogging for two minutes and walking for five, you know, and then it's the next week I'm jogging for five and walking for two and then the next, you know, so the, the small incremental change is writing a paragraph, writing a page, right, you know, and it, it comes together. So um, that's how I, I would recommend recovering from a lapse, um, you know, and it mostly happens in the writing phase. Sure. Like, like if you're collecting quantitative data, you know, you probably have your survey out um, for online distribution. Most, most surveys are distributed online now. Um, so if you've done that, then you just need to get your statistical analysis done. So, and there's always supports that you can find um, to help you with that. Watch a video, get it going, click, 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 and you're done with your analysis for quant. If it's qualitative, typically the interview phase is pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just finished some my own interviews and I was like, oh, that was fun. Oh, God, I have to analyze it now. <laughs> um, so, 
is usually an analysis phase that can get pretty heavy, but that's because, like I said, with the plateau, it's like, I'm good at talking to people yeah. and recording them saying words, <laughs> you know, yeah. that felt good. And then you're like, I'm meeting another challenge, the analysis phase, and then you break it down. You know, every qualitative analysis has some steps. Um, so phenomenology, a case study, you know, whatever method that you're using, there's some guided steps. So just do the next step, you know, um, get your data into your qualitative analysis software program and understand how to use it. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, you know, uh, code one, you know, one transcript or at least a page of a transcript and, you know, check with something. So there's always uh, steps that you can take. And so just find those small incremental steps that keep you moving forward. Um, it's great. Process, so thank you. I think I think we covered a lot. I okay. think we covered a lot of good things, tips behind the scenes. Um, so that's great. Thank you again for joining me and um, answering my questions. Uh, join us next time. We will talk with Raven Ortolan from the Career Center on services uh, they provide to students.